Miriam Tazi in the house. And uh, Malcolm Riddle. That's what's up. What's and, up? And welcome to another episode of American <laughs> Riddle. That's right, people. We're bringing it in. You know what I mean? It's a special episode. Monday. We usually don't record on Mondays. No. Right at the eve of tonight's Grammys. Yeah. And Run DMC is about to get their due. Yeah. Finally. It's long overdue. Man. Rest in peace, Jam Master J. You have no idea. Like, I've been waiting a long time for this moment. And I know you're excited about it. Man, I've been excited all day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've been excited all since since it was announced that Run DMC's gonna uh, going to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from the Grammys, which I thought they should have got the Grammy back in 86. <laughs> you know? They got robbed. It wasn't even a category. Oh, yeah. It wasn't even a category. I think it was like for best R&B. Yeah, that did come later when it was like actually... That's just it. A lot of stuff just names... I mean, even the the term hip-hop, you know, wasn't um, a dominant term, you know, in the the late 70s, early 80s. It it really wasn't. Because it was still too early. It was like... Still the birth, you know? Yeah. So so the, I mean, that whole era, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, where it was just a new and everything was, was on the rise. And, uh, you know, I was I was happy to be a part of it. I mean, I remember being in the mix in the Baltimore, Philadelphia hip hop scene. And of course, in Detroit and Flint, Michigan, you know, where I, where I came up and it was always one step closer to New York. But I never, I never really made it to New York, you know. I never made it to New York, but New York was always in my heart and soul. Yeah, and you it's know? still and then there. I, it's still like right there. You know what I mean? So it's not like inaccessible, you know. No, I mean, no, you yeah. You went for like a day, didn't you? To no, I've, I've been something. many times since then. But, but I'm talking about you know as a as a child, teenager mm. at that inspiring time in the '80s. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it was a magical time. You know, I hate to sound like one of them old heads. It's always reminiscent about the the heyday in the eighties, but well, because I mean, I I get what you're saying, but I can't relate because I it was too early for me. You know, for me, my my reminiscent days would be more the nineties. You know, so I have this like and what a classic era that was. That's fine. You know, yeah, everyone has their like you know, I guess era because that's I was thinking about this the other day. Maybe that's why I like Kendrick Lamar and J Cole today because they do kind of have that nineties yeah. sound. Yeah, you yeah. know, so. I just think that there's a certain, maybe it's because of how you felt at that time or when it came out and how excited you were about it and how much you loved it. And then you still bring that when you listen to it today. But, you know, I just think that there's a certain sound that I really just enjoy about that. And I just vibe with, you know, so you like your, your boom bap, you like it a little harder, you know, and I don't have a problem with that. It's just not really like what I will like jam to. You you hear that people? She likes it harder. Mm, no, you mm, do. Mm. Oh. Well, she can ha- she she can hang with it. <laughs> like I can enjoy it, but I'm not. You know, like I, it's just a different vibe. You know, so yeah. No, it, it was a uh, yeah, just just such an amazing era from from uh, the the early '80s, mid '80s, late '80s, and then going into the '90s. It it, it was a, a very magical era that I think uh, 
up until now, meaning maybe the last uh, 10 years or so, we kind of took it for granted because it was just oh, completely. It was just one thing after the other. And that we leads were me spoiled in that sense, you know, big time. And that leads me to 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 our guest today. We have a special guest on the phone, uh, Glenn E. Friedman, photographer, artist, author and publisher. So we were talking earlier about uh, about some of the classic artists in the hip hop movement and what their views are on today's society and uh, today's, I guess, uh, uh, rap movement. Not so much hip-hop in the culture, but just the way things are produced and the way things are, are put out today. And I reached out uh, to uh, uh, Glenn and to see if he would do our podcast, and he agreed. I, 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 I saw Glenn when he was in Washington, D.C., uh, I guess it was last year, um, a few months ago, and he was doing a uh, seminar or a yeah, I guess it was a lecture in D.C. and just covering uh, covering all his works from all the books. I mean, he he has countless books. My rules, fuck you, heroes, fuck you too, and so on. And the the latest one that he was promoting was My Rules, which we have in front of us, which is an amazing collection of uh, of of his photography of his photos yeah. so on the line uh, we have uh glenn friedman glenn yes sir yeah so and yes ma'am <laughs> hi <laughs> yeah so so we you know we were talking we 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 were, we were already on air before you called and and uh you know some of the artists and we're going to talk a lot about uh or as much time as you whatever time you have about hip-hop uh, because that's that's just one of the areas that uh, interests me, and uh, it, you know, not to say that you know the the entire body, everything that you've done doesn't. I mean, I came up in the era in the '70s, and when I was living uh, uh, in Flint, Michigan, and I moved to uh, Denver, Colorado, I was part of the whole, I guess, their skateboarding scene, uh, which you were huge into. And then when I moved out to California, I lived for a number of years in 1980, 81, 82. I was living in uh, outside of San Francisco, the Bay Area, in Mill Valley. And some of the things that you, you've you talked about, from skateboarding into swimming pools, we would do the same thing. I mean, it was, I think everyone in the country at that time was doing the same thing. And it was a magical time that I've talked about on this show before. Um, what do you think? What do you think about that period and how it influenced your choices as an artist? Well, in the early 80s, I don't think everybody was doing the same thing. I think everyone might have thought they were doing the same thing. Yeah. But the innovators and the leaders were generally much further progressed than the other people in different areas. Um, I think in skateboarding, for instance, you know, between Southern California and Northern California, you had a lot of people dictating what the rest of the world were doing. Um, they were the, you know, the trendsetters or the or, or the the, uh, the people who were making the support progress in a way that no one else was yet. And you know, at that point, still, I think you know, magazines and soon to come videos would tell people what was going on and inspire them to do new things. Um, I think it would be another ten years or so. Um, coincidentally, in the time of the internet developing, maybe even 20 years after that, yeah. that you know, all of a sudden you have mass communication and, and instant communication with people, 
in all corners of the planet could see what the hell is going on in California. They don't have to wait to see a magazine. It takes four or five months to get from the live moment to the point it gets into your mailbox or at your newsstand or a video, you know, just as long sometimes. So, you know, the lag of publication, whether it be print or video at that time with in our subcultures, you know, lagged between the coasts, between the continents, so I don't, but uh, although people were doing it all, I don't think they were all doing it in the same way. Yeah, so, no, um, there's no you doubt. Know, there was something, and that doesn't mean there's anything's anyone's any less than anyone else, because the great thing is, is that everyone is inspired and excited and thrilled to be doing what they're doing. And it, in a matter of time, they were all eventually going to get on the same plane, but at that point in time, they weren't quite yet. Well, that's one of the things I took away from the lecture you gave was the fact that you had the sense to know something was going on and it was something something special, and you wanted to you know take that on and capture those moments. Um, it, you know, I found that that fascinating because I again I was in the same era, but I didn't put the do the math and decide to document it in any any way. Um, you know, what was your motivational factor to do something like that, to actually go out and then start shooting? Um, I think what I was seeing in front of my own two eyes is what inspired me to start shooting, right? As I've said many times before, um, I was seeing some incredible things that I wasn't seeing anywhere else. I hadn't even heard of before. And in fact, were not happening anywhere else in the world. So um, I took it upon myself as a personal responsibility to do something about that, because these things were becoming absolutely vital to me and uh, inspiring me to a degree that I wanted to share that inspiration with other people. Um, Plenty of people have those thoughts, but they don't quite have the ability to be able to express it, you know? I'm able to work pretty well with my camera, and sometimes I can articulate things, and sometimes I can even write things down, but I am not a writer, and, um, you know, and I'm not a movie maker, and, you know, I leave those things to the experts, right? You know, we could talk upon things a little bit, but, uh, you know, but there was something about photography that I just had a feeling that I could do it in a way that other people couldn't. Um, it might have something to do with where I came from, my backgrounds, you know, um, and just the environment that I grew up in on the west side of L.A., hanging out with the Dogtown guys, knowing that we were a group of people and they were mostly a group of guys that were doing something that no one else was doing. And hanging out with them and being a part of that whole group, even, in, you know, in the way that I was, you know, maybe helped me realize that, you know, as kids, we were doing something that no one else was doing anywhere else in the world, and that was kind of exciting, and that was kind of interesting and kind of incredible. So um, maybe that gave me the confidence that when it came to my own abilities, I could do what they were doing in yeah. some way or another. And luckily, I did. I started taking some photos. They came out really great. Um, even before that, I had taken a few photos you know, with a Polaroid camera, with an Insomatic camera, and seemed to be capturing things that other people weren't. Or in a way that was, to me, you know, it, I was kind of impressing myself that I was able to do it, as fucked up as that, or egomaniacal as that might sound. 
You know, I was like, wow, I really got that. That's what I really wanted to get. I got that at just the right moment. And it's a particular angle that someone else hasn't gotten on that or, you know, and I just don't see other people doing. And it looked kind of perfect to me. And being a bit of a perfectionist, that was uh, very uh, fulfilling. And so, you know, whether it was skateboarding or punk rock or later hip-hop, you know, I felt as though I had a vision, um, you know, unlike, uh, you know, most other people's. Um, you know, everyone ha- does indeed have their own vision. But I, uh, in a way, you know, idealized these people and these moments in a way that I thought would help inspire other people. And also just in the way that I perceive them. And for me to be able to capture that on film to create these photographs, to make these photos uh, with these people um, was something that I took very seriously. And I really wanted to do fucking well. And so it wasn't just about hanging out and documenting shit. It was about making something fucking happen and waking people up and turning people on and doing it in a way that would be respected. And that was really important to me. And, um, you know, especially as a young person, because, you know, and especially back then, you're really insecure about getting respect from people and from your elders and just from the world around you. Uh, as you grow up and you get to be old, you realize you never get respect. No one gets respect. Yeah. You get some appreciation now and then, but it's just that's just life, man. There's no fucking respect for anything. As you know, as, you know, we're all Rodney Dangerfield out here, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, um, you're right. you know, but uh, but you do the best that you can to do the best things that you can uh, is the way I look at it. And and really, my goals were really just to you know do justice to those things that were inspiring me in order to try and inspire other people. Yeah, and you hit you hit on that subject about respect because at that time I remember when I was coming up, you know, in the in the early '80s, mid '80s, it was it was challenging enough because anything you were doing, I was I was into DJing at that time. Anything you were doing, it was just being shot down by your elders. So you did have to work very hard. Uh, it's not like today where you can make a living DJing. You know, you can make a living doing extreme sports and and stuff. But back in those days, it was it was for the passion, you know, for the love of what you're doing. And and, and as you mentioned, to to get that respect. Uh, no, no, no. Fuck the elders. Yeah. Okay. And respect was something that you thought you needed, but yep. as time goes on, you realize, you know, that's. It's not important. That's nothing. You're doing that as a young person because you're insecure, right? Yeah. It, it's not about respect. It's about, it's about respecting yourself and just doing what you want to do, like, and, and doing what I just said five minutes ago. I don't want to, you know, sound like a jerk repeating myself 20 times. Um, that's unavoidable, but I'll do what I can. But um, the, you know, so it, it's not about gaining respect, but mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, it's just having an appreciation and really, you know, Want to spread the love? Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's as I look back when I when I look back into you know when I look back. Let me my, interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Yeah. Okay. You know, adults couldn't relate to skateboarding in any way because it wasn't around when they were kids. There was nothing they can do. You were self-taught yeah. back then. That was oh, the yeah. only way to do it. There was no one 10 years older than you that could show you how to skateboard or to do it better or to do something, you know, in a way that your friends weren't doing better than they were. There were a few older skaters. Those were 
you know, one in a million. And even they weren't your parents. They were like someone's older brother or something like that, right? right? It just, there was nothing like that, yeah. you know? And when it came to punk rock, sure, there's a lot of people who played instruments and who could teach you how to play an instrument, but older generations had no fucking understanding, you know, of the aggression and the angst that punk rock people wanted to get out on their instruments and in their music. You know, there, there was just, it just, you don't go to them for permission. You don't go to them to find out how to do it. It was something that we developed upon our own selves, right? And hip-hop is the same thing. I mean, there might have been, you know, everyone could, you know, you learn nursery rhymes in, in kindergarten, right? But that's, it's not what, you know, hip-hop is about. It's not about rhyming. It's like, you know, these were all youth-generated activities. So fuck the parents, yeah. fuck the adults. We're, this is our own shit. And, you know, luckily I happen to be, you know, there at a moment in time when all of these things, you know, were going on. And it was definitely a golden era from, you know, at least during my generation, you know, from the mid-70s to, you know, the mid-80s or the early 90s, you know. Um, it was a time of progression and invention um, that has dictated, you know, rebel youth culture ever since. And so when you when you when you when you hit on that note about uh, you know there, there's no blueprint for for what you're doing. What do you think about today's generation and that there is a blueprint, but yet there are some artists that don't even recognize artists from that classic era. Do you have any feelings on that? What do you mean by artists? Uh, well, I've, I've I've talked to different uh, MCs and I've listened to different interviews with MCs, and some of them don't even they they may not even so you're know. You're talking about rap right now. I am. You're not talking about skateboarding. Not talking about or skateboarding. You're not talking about punk rock. You're no. talking about rap specifically. Correct. When you refer to artists. Correct. Is that what you mean? Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, so, I you know that's okay. I mean, look at without the foundation. They wouldn't be where they are. That's simple. We know that. They're not doing anything that progressive or exciting that is, you know, as groundbreaking as fuck the police was when NWA broke out with that, or as Sucker MCs was when they did that, or as, you know, I can't live without my radio or I need a beat was when LL Cool J came out with that. It just, what they're doing is derivative. They're younger, they're excited, they're expressing themselves, and that's fucking legit. Yeah. That's fucking great. And I think that is fine. I don't think they need to know that shit. Would they be excited? Would they be better as artists if they knew about it? Probably, but maybe not. Because look, man, I don't—I didn't know any of the fucking photographers when I started taking my pictures, and I still don't. Yeah. I have my own fucking vision, and I dig it, and I appreciate it. And I've, you know, I've been to museums. I've seen all the big famous photographers, and I've seen all the new fucking jacks out there that people respect. You know. I don't give a shit. I like what I do. How's that? I see a couple of good photos here and there from other people, and anyone could get lucky and snap a good shot. But to consistently do something that I envision and how I want to see things, that's my fucking vision, right? And that's how I want to see it, and that's why I actually enjoy looking at my own photos and why they mean a lot to me and why I'm very particular about who I shoot and when I shoot and how I, you know, make photographs, you know? It's, uh, you know, it's easier done today than it ever has been done in the history of the planet. 
I mean, as we all know, you know, more pictures were taken this month than in the history of the fucking world. And, you know, of the prior hundred years or some shit, you know, that fact that everyone spits out that, that they were saying that five years ago, you know, you can only imagine now how insane it is. Everyone takes a picture, of every motherfucking French fry, you know, <laughs> that they have for dinner. It's unbelievable what people shoot pictures of. And, and with all these effects and all the fucking autofocus and the lighting and the ability to capture things in low light, it's like, you know, good pictures are more possible than ever. Um, and there are probably more good pictures than ever, but there's way more shitty photos than ever as well. Yeah. And you know, that could be recognized. Um, but as long as, you know, I mean, I think there's something to living in the moment and, you know, not having to capture everything. You know, I was capturing really important moments, things that meant a lot to me. You know, people say, well, why don't you shoot as much anymore? Well, I shoot every once in a while when I think it's something important. I got an eight-year-old son. I shoot pictures of him. I shoot actual film every two months to get it on film. You know, I got, you know, I got the little, you know, iPod that I use to take pictures on sometimes. You know, when you got a kid, that's just what you do. You know, you know, it's just, it's easier. You got the digital, you know, uh, you know, pocket camera or whatever. I don't have a, you know, a big digital camera yet. Um, but, you know, there, it's like, I don't really want to shoot pictures of shit when, like, 50 other people are shooting and they're all getting in your way, first of all. That, like, ruins the whole mood of the show as far as I'm concerned. And that, that's definitely something I don't want to be, you know, trying to make photographs of. And then, you know, that, and then besides that, what about the bands? I mean, I fucking grew up with Run DMC and Black Flag. What the fuck? Who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna kick my ass and make me think that... You know, it's worthy of photographing. I mean, maybe you have easier, you know, you know, your taste is more, you know, relaxed, and you go out every night and see a band you like. Hey, man, there are a lot of bands in fucking 1982 that I didn't like. Yeah. How's that? You go to shows back then, and everyone thinks that's the golden era, and everything was great? No, not every hip-hop record was great that came out in 86. In fact, most of them were whack. <laughs> yeah. But there were an incredible amount of classics that were created in that time. There were an incredible amount of great punk rock bands in 1980 in Los Angeles to 82. Incredible. But there are a lot of shitty fucking bands, too. And you don't see those photos in my books because I didn't take pictures of those shitty bands. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So why am I going to take pictures of shit that is out now? Well, if I'm inspired, I will. Okay? Some of my friends, they're in bands now. They're playing. They're old men. Don't look that good on pictures. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to take pictures of them. What are you going to do? You want to take pictures because of fucking souvenir or something? Go ahead. I'm not going to do it unless I'm really inspired to do so. You know, because it is fun. I love taking photos. But something's got to be kicking my ass in order to get me to fucking bring my, you know, equipment with me to a show where people are playing music. You understand? Or where people are skateboarding. You know? Uh, I don't necessarily want to do that i don't like carrying a camera but when i see something going on that needs to be captured in only a way that i think i could do it then i'll do it but it's very rare so lucky for me i have an archive and i work from that and uh i'm still stoked on a lot of the old stuff i did and apparently a lot of other people are too definitely definitely because i i've i've gone through uh your your uh, book my rules a hundred times looking at some of the 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 photos of some of those classic uh photographs pictures of uh groups like utfo and the fat boys 
And those are those are two names that I don't hear a lot of uh, or enough of uh, in present time. Uh, and one of the things that you recently posted, uh, you you posted a picture of UT, UTFO in from 1985, and you talked about that experience. You left, uh, you know, in, in the in the blog on Instagram, you left us hanging. Can you tell us about that story that uh, you know from the picture of UTFO? Only after Miriam asked the question. Ah, I told her. I told her Miriam had to 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 step up. I mean, I think you just answered it a second ago. What well, did you ask? Oh well, I well now I actually I want to ask him something else. I, that was it. Kind of flows into what we were talking about before. But how do you stay inspired? You know, because you say inspiration is so important. You want to keep people inspired. How do you stay inspired today? Um. I don't know how I stay inspired. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'm not inspired. I'm not always inspired. I mean, I'm inspired by the hope that there's still an ability to try and make this world a better place. I'm inspired by, you know, at the moment, Bernie Sanders talking and bringing a lot of good issues to the front. I'm inspired by the fact that this asshole fucking, uh, you know, Supreme Court justice, you know, I never wish death on anybody, that's for sure. But that fucker was evil. So I'm inspired by the fact that there is a new place to be filled there by someone who's <laughs> a decent, caring, thinking human being and not just a selfish piece of shit. Yeah. You know, I agree. ideologue. And, uh, you know, so I'm inspired by things like that. I'm inspired by the fact that there's fucking new vegan restaurants opening, you know, around town and that people are becoming more friendly to that. You know, I've been vegan for over 25 years, closer to 30 years now. And it's like, you know, I do it because I know it's good for the planet, you know, period. I got to say that it's good for the animals. It's, you know, it's good for my health. Yeah, it's all that, too. But it's fucking good for the goddamn planet. And the fact that there's more people becoming hip to that is kind of inspiring. Is that getting me to take photos? No. But, you know, when you see, but, but, but that certainly inspires life. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've, I'm, and I'm curious about, is a, a vegan diet. Miriam has heard me offline talk about, you know, and I've switched my diet to uh, talking about, uh, you know, eating more vegetables and uh, less meat, which I've done and I feel a lot better overall. And I think that that inspires me. I don't necessarily take pictures of, of anything that I eat, but it's, uh, you know, you've been doing it how long? 20, 20 plus years strong. And do you credit that? you know, to a better outlook, a better, I guess, you know, health, better lifestyle? You know, I've always been, uh, you know, I grew up, I was born in 1962, right? Martin Luther King and JFK and Malcolm X were all still alive yeah. while I was born, right? You know, um, it's like things were going on politically. And although my family wasn't very political, um, I grew up during a very active time. And people wanted to get out of Vietnam. People wanted social justice. Yeah. When I was very little, I saw all of that going on a lot. So, you know, that inspired the fuck out of me, right? So it's like when it comes to your food choices, it's like that's just an extension of that. I'm a peace-loving person. You know, I believe in peace and love, even, and even though I'm a punk rocker. It's like that's what that shit is about, too. People don't realize that. It's about making the world a better place. Where people are fucking mad and angry because everyone else is just sitting back and taking the shit. So you're a punk because you want to stand up and make shit better. You're not a nihilist. That's a fucking small part of punk rock. 
You know, you're a fucking person who's thinking. Yeah. Unlike a large majority of people who are not thinking for themselves. You understand? So eating a vegan diet, it's just an extension of a caring, thinking person. It's really simple. It's like if you have the information, which everyone does now because they could just fucking type it in in Google or just, you know, go to some website or, you know, watch movies now on Netflix about it. It's fucking, it's a no-brainer. In fucking 1986, when I was given a piece of paper at a punk rock show, explaining to me, you know, the, the, how eating, you know, animal products affects the environment, like, that was it, man. It was a fucking flyer, dude. They weren't even VHS cassettes barely out yet. <laughs> it was a flyer on a piece of paper. Someone had a bunch of facts with footnotes telling me that it takes 10 pounds of grain to make, you know, a quarter pounder hamburger. Like, the cow has to eat in order to create that meat, and da 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 da, da. And at those times, it didn't even mention in that flyer, you know, the use of water. You mm. know, that for that one quarter pound of hamburger, a family of four could shower for a month. Yeah. Fresh water, you know, more expensive than gasoline these days. If you buy it in bottles, yep. you know, so it's like all this sense, all this shit just kind of starts to make sense in your head. It's like, I'm a, you know, a loving, caring person, right? Yeah. And how the fuck can I rationalize eating at McDonald's anymore? And all of a sudden I'm a punk rock and I realize... Not only is the food bad, the fucking business model is bad. What they're doing, not only to the world, but what they're doing to their employees. And how, not only that, the fucking food is killing people. It's causing cancers. Yeah. Right? And the people... It's like all this starts building one thing on the next, right? Just because you're a punk rocker and you have an open mind and you listen to what people are saying, right? You listen to the science. Not the bullshit given to you by, you know, industries. It's the science given to you by universities and people who study these things. Not some necessarily some wacko doctor telling you, oh, it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that. I'm listening to the fucking science, okay? Yeah. People in, you know, in the Central Valley of California, you know, UC Davis and wherever else, you know, where the schools are, that their main interest is agriculture and the cost of agriculture, both financially and to the environment. And you read the facts, or you could watch them now, about, you know, what's going on in the world. <laughs> it's like, it's fucking mind-boggling. And mind you, I'm not a fucking Krishna or, any, you know, or an animal rights activist, okay? It has nothing, it's not that. You know, it's not, oh, I love the animals, and yeah. I'm looking in the cow's eyes, and <laughs> they're so beautiful and special, and I don't want to eat them. No. It's your greedy fuck if you continue eating animals. That's why I stopped, okay? Now, I didn't grow up a hippie kid with my diet, or really in my life, even though I was very peace-loving, and I wanted George McGovern for president, and I, you know, used to, you know... You know, funny, you know, used to put, put a peace sign out the window all the time when you're driving in the back of the car, because we didn't wear seatbelts much back then, right? Mm. And, you know... There was none. They so didn't even exist in the car. It's like, I, I became more aware of the animal plight later on, okay? I became aware of my own health benefits later on, because when I started, I was in my 20s, right? But 
back then, too, you got to realize it was really hard. There weren't that many. If you didn't cook for yourself, there were not that many places and not that many options of things to eat. The yeah. fact that we have Whole Foods two blocks from my house, and I've got fucking four vegan restaurants that are reasonably priced, you know, within a mile of my house, is like, you know, I live in New York City, but still, it's like, you know, it's pretty fucking incredible. And as much as it can improve and it could be way better, it's pretty fucking good that we got this now. And the fact, you know, change does happen. People don't realize it. Sometimes it's not fast enough in this fast-moving society, but things are changing more now in our lifetimes and quicker than they have in the history of the fucking planet. Yeah. So, you know, to become a fucking lazy shit who thinks that, you know, oh, I just keep doing what I'm doing, blah, 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 you know, everything will be fine. Fuck you. You know? It's like, you got to fucking do something to make this planet, you know, better. Well, yeah, we all, have, you know, we all play pay, a part. Pay, pay your fucking way. If you're on this planet, do something good for it. Don't just fucking take all day long. Right. Do something to inspire people. And if you can't do something like that, at least don't fucking shit on it all day by eating this crappy food and destroying the fucking environment, having them cut down trees for fucking cow grazing because fat Americans want to eat more beef. You know, it's fucking, it's really, really selfish and foul. That's all. It's like, you know, and I don't, I'm not a vegan fascist. You don't want to fucking be vegan, fine. That's on your own fucking head. I don't, you know, whatever. I mean, I can't imagine at this point. And by the way, I grew up eating red, rare roast beef sandwiches at Blimpy's whenever I could. You know, that was like my shit. I love roast beef. I love burgers. I go to McDonald's drive-thru, and I would get everything, one thing from each of the four food groups. filet fish Big Mac, chicken McNuggets, and a fucking shake. Oh, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. That's, I did that. I did that all the time. It was, you know, and am I ashamed of it? No, because fucking... I didn't know any better. Yeah, you programmed. What you should be ashamed of is if you fucking know better and you continue to choose to do that lazy shit. Yeah, no, I I agree, and and it's funny you hit on that because, uh, you know, just coming off the uh, release of Michael Moore's documentary, uh, Where to Invade Next, he talks. A, I mean, the, the, the I don't know if you've seen it, but the film pretty much reiterates everything you just said about corporate greed. And the way we're programmed to eat what we're eating and feed the type of things we're feeding our children right now. So, I mean, you hit on uh, on every note that uh, uh, Mike has uh, stressed in his new film. I yeah, mean, I didn't get to see the film yet. And I think he's a fucking American hero. Could he be an asshole sometimes? Hell yeah. And I heard from people who fuck with him, who work with him, that he is not the best human being to deal with on one-to-one. But I'll tell you one thing, or even to work under, but he's a fucking hero, man. The shit he brings to light over the years he's been alive, he is an inspiration. He's a fucking hero. I have not seen his movie. I know I've laughed. I heard he was quite ill in the hospital, but I look forward to seeing his, his movie. I was at the premiere of Sicko and, uh, you know, up there at the Zigfield, and that was fucking amazing. And he, he's, a, he's great. You know, and Flint, you know, the very, I went and saw Roger and me in the theater when it first came out, you know. And, uh, you know, I think, I think what he does is great. I think he's a real asset to this society. I think that, you know, I don't know if he talks about food in the new movie, as you just said or not. He does. But, you know, the problem with a lot of people is they don't follow their own advice. I mean, look at him. He's out of control with his weight. Yeah. You know, that is, that is unhealthy. And quite frankly, 
Michael Moore, we want you alive. You do great work, so you should take better care of yourself. Definitely. You know? and, and at the same time, you take care of the planet. How the fuck is that? Yeah, you know no, what I'm saying? It, and, you know, again, it's like if you can't be 100% vegan, whatever, you know, you know that, whatever, man, just do what the fuck you could, okay? Don't let it turn you off that, you know, oh, I can't do it all. I can't do that all day and night. I can't be vegan. Well, first of all, you can. You can, be, you can do whatever the fuck you want, okay? And it's not expensive, so fuck that, okay? You can eat rice and beans and avocados every fucking day and get the nutrition you need and eat a couple pieces of fruit, a banana or some shit like that. That shit is much less than anything else you cook and have that diet that I just told you. No, it's true. You have oatmeal and bananas in the morning for breakfast when it's cold. There's fruit in the summer for breakfast, you know? And during the day, you eat various things, you know, fucking avocados are great. And there's a million fucking things. I'm not a fucking chef, but I seem to get along just fine. And most, I'm fucking going to be 54 next month, and most people think I look at least 10 years younger. Now, I don't, you know, whatever, man. What you could, I don't know what that is. Yeah, no. You know, I- but again, it's like, you don't have to do it all day long, you know? I mean, occasionally I'll have some M&Ms in my popcorn. That has milk chocolate in it. Okay, big fucking deal. I'm not a perfect vegan. Am I a vegan? Yes. I'm fucking vegan, man. I live the lifestyle. I fucking appreciate what it does for the planet. And you don't have to be 100 fucking perfect person all the time. It doesn't, you know, the people get discouraged by that because some people are like, oh, you know, they're all fascist about it, whatever. It's like, just do what you do, man. Do the best that you can. Just do something, motherfucker. Just do something. And if you hate me because I sound righteous or whatever, you think I'm an asshole, you know, I don't give a fuck. Just do something. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree, and I, I, I applaud. I'm not and- trying to hurt you. I'm yeah. not trying to hurt you, and I'm not trying to impose my feelings or thoughts on you. I'm trying to just show you that, you know, hey, let's not be so greedy and fuck up this planet. Yeah. You know, let's fucking try and make leave it in better condition than when we got here. Because when we were born after the Industrial Revolution, you know, and it's still going on in China and stuff like that, you know, the way the people are polluting stuff, you know, we know that that's not good. Everyone knows that. And you know, when it comes to food, everyone knows. When when someone has a heart attack, the doc, and they get bypass surgery and all that shit, yeah. the doctor tells them, well, you know what, you're going to have to stop eating red meat. Okay, well, why the fuck didn't you tell them that beforehand? Okay, you know, they survived this. So maybe they want to just eat until they almost died, and now they fucking, you know, change their diets. You know, but it's like, you know, that's not preventative medicine. You know, that's doing something after the fact. Yeah. It's reactionary. It's, you know, it, it, you know it just, it's what this whole medical system is built upon. It just, you know, the whole profit and shit. By the way, there's some fly shit I've been watching on YouTube when I have time. It's called the School of Life. It's completely aside from all. They don't talk about veganism at all, I don't think. But they got, it's so great and it's so educational. It's called the School of Life on YouTube. You guys should peep that. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And start maybe, you know, you can start on any episode you want. You know, they go from fucking Karl Marx to pornography. It's they explaining things to love, to fucking, you know, design. It's it's dope. Yeah, I'll check it out. I, t- I tell you, one of the one of the people that, that has really opened my eyes to changing the way I eat and changing the way I think, because uh, it's easy to fall victim, as you said, into that, that programmed way of thinking that is, you, you have to have a lot of money 
to change your diet. Uh, I've listened to a couple uh, interviews with Russell Simmons and the way he outlines and structures uh, the way to, to think and eat right. And uh, I, I got to give him some credit, a lot of credit, actually, uh, in, in inspiring me to look at myself and change the direction, you know, that I was headed. Do you uh, do you interact any with Russell anymore? You know, I'm the one who got him to be vegan. Ah, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> well, yeah, man. Fucking, we were away on a vacation with a bunch of friends. Yeah. And he, you know, back then in the '80s when I became vegan, I was eating with that motherfucker four nights out of the week, and every meal we were at, I'd give him shit about the bullshit he was <laughs> fucking chewing on all the time. And if you know me or you're one of my friends, I, I, I was very annoying back then. And I could still be quite now, and I'm sure people listening to this could probably believe that quite easily. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I used to fucking harass him about it all the time. And then we're all together sitting around one uh, New Year's Day in a tropical location, and it's raining. And I, and I brought with me, just in case, the, uh, a VHS cassette of, the, uh, of a lecture given by John Robbins, the guy who wrote Diet for a New America, and that was it. You know, that's when the light bulb went off for Russell. And he couldn't believe it. He finally got him to pay attention. He didn't have the attention span of a gnat to fucking read a book. But he, at the time, and he watched that movie. I uh, pretty much had a captive audience. And he, you know, and he switched his shit up. And that's where it all began for him. And, uh, you know, he also, you know, he's got a new book out. And, uh, you know, I heard a lot of vegans are upset about it because he says that he, you know, eats... You know, so he, you know, he'll have a bite of someone's animal product off of someone's plate every once in a while. And I've seen that happen in person. You know, he'll see some guy eating something, and it'll look really good across the table. He'll, and you know, and he, you know, look at man, that guy's never had any self control a day in his fucking life. Anyway, okay, that's my one of my very good friends. <laughs> it's like, you know, so how do you expect to have it in any other, you know, at all, forever? You know, people don't change everything. So, but it's like it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, you just do what you can. And he's vegan probably 98% of the time, maybe 90, whatever. I'm fucking 99.999, but fucking, you know, it doesn't matter. Just do what you can, you know? Um, If Russell's, you know, know, Russell, everyone would would have a better life if they practiced more what they preached. But, um, But he does a pretty good job most of the time, and I know I do, you know, a pretty good job. And, um, you know, you know, when I was younger, I would preach it all the time and be really harsh. And that's part of how I got Russell to become vegan. But nowadays, you know, I'm, you know, it's more known. You don't have to fucking be the prophet and be telling everyone. People kind of get it. A lot of people know about it, certainly in major cities all around the world. People kind of get it. A lot of people don't. But, you know, that tells me something about that person. You know, it's like when you would fucking... When you, you know, when you're going out at night and let's pretend there's a nightclub on each corner and one place they're playing punk, one place they're playing hip hop, another place they're playing, you know, you know, trance music, another place they're fucking, you know, just doing drugs, you know, another place there's just a bar and they're just drinking. You know, when you walk into those places, you kind of know, you've got a little sense of an idea of some, of what kind of people are going to be in there and how they're going to conduct themselves and how they live their life. And, you know, when I meet people and someone tells me, you know, you know, or I see that someone's eating a steak at the table, it's not being judgmental. It's just seeing, like, oh, this person has a lack of education in this area. 
they don't really know anything about nutrition. That's interesting. At you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, they, it seems as though they don't know much about nutrition if they're eating an animal. Um, and apparently they don't care about you know, the environment too much or whatever. You, you know, I, I, I mean, you could say it's judgmental, but I don't give a fuck. You know, why have a fucking, uh, you know, uh, a negative connotation on that? It's just like, it tells me about you. It's a decision you make, right? If you're at a fucking Ku Klux Klan rally, I know something about you, motherfucker. That's true. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that eating meat is that, but I'm saying is that, you know, if I meet someone and they tell me they're vegan, I'm like, oh, shit. There's another nice, really cool person who actually cares about the environment and cares about, you know, might care about the, the environment, but certainly, you know, cares about either the environment, their health, or animals. They care about one of those things, and, it, and at least it tells me that they're educated and they are doing something that is kind of outside of the norm. So they're, you know, it, it, it's pretty interesting to me to, to meet other vegans. And fucking, there are a lot of fucking weirdo vegans, too. I'm not going to say that... <laughs> There's not a lot of fucking vegans who are total fucking weirdos. You know, you go to some of these vegan restaurants and you see people and they're freaks. You know, they're really particular about things. But this is what happens when, you know, you're dealing with, you know, people who happen to be educated in a particular way. You know, they're kind of like, you know, you know, food nerds in a way or something like that. You know, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but they're just particular people and they've learned things and they've educated themselves in ways. So, you know, you can't really be mad at that i can't be anyways you know i'm I'm never mad at someone who who is you know using education or knowledge to you know make the world a better place now some people do it because you know it's just they're just selfish and they know it's healthy for them and you know and that's why they're doing it and, and and that's a different thing and you know you pick that up when you talk to people and you could find out why they're doing it or you see in their lifestyle or how they do things what, what their motivation is but when i see that it's someone who cares about animals or their environment no, man, that's, that's a fucking, you know, that's a nice thing. That's like, a, you know, a really, uh, you know, compassionate human being. And I like to be around compassionate human beings. I like people who, you know, care about shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, it, it really does. And, and in my case, I know that at least... Listening to everything you just said, I don't feel as bad when I smuggle fruit in to go to the movies <laughs> as I as I often do uh, because I've you know scaled back if it's all but stopped eating all the junk that uh, I was programmed to uh, think I was supposed to do every time I went to the movie theater. Uh, so it's like you know, I, it, and not only that, just the amount of meat that just makes me feel bad. So it's it's a conscious choice. I'm, I'm I can only speak on myself that I made. Uh, to do better, uh, you know, for my own health, because I don't want to be the guy that that is in the ER, and now you have to make a change. And I have a 14 year old son. I don't want to be that guy, you know, a few years from down the line, and and you know, there's something comes up because it's health related, because I was ignorant or blind to the fact, and or I didn't educate myself, uh, you know, soon enough. So you know, I I I appreciate your 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 wisdom and your knowledge and and just your passion. You know, for not only educating, but also wanting to surround yourself with with people like that. I mean, you can't. I can't see how anyone could knock that. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Know. You know, um, everyone comes in their own time. Yeah, you know, everyone in their own time. It's like there was a day. Like I said, you know, I tell you, a year, two years before I was vegan, I was up at someone's house, up at some group house up in Berkeley. Yeah, right, and. 
the guy who's house i was saying that there's a bunch of people there but he was like yeah let's go over to flint's ribs it's like the most famous rib place you know in the oakland area you know in, in the bay area and it's like amazing and yeah. it's like it's really good i'm like great let's go you know i was like really excited to go get some incredibly incredible barbecue ribs you know from some from the hood you know yeah. and it's like we went and got some ribs they were great and i came back to the house and one of the other people was there and they were kind of lecturing me on vegetarianism while I'm sitting here looking like Fred Flintstone with a fucking big rib <laughs> in my mouth, you know? Yeah. And it was like, you know, that was me. You know, I, I didn't know. And I was eating my rib, and I just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, you know, over a period of time, you know, I told you, I, you know, I mean, she said a little something. It didn't really get in my ear that much, you know. But then I got a flyer, and one day I'm just reading something, and then I see, you know, some other thing in print somewhere. It's just like, okay, I get it. I'm beginning to get it. And then I got that book, Diet for a New America, which, you know, which was, you know, kind of the big deal back then in 86, 87, I think it was published. Before I was even finished reading the book, it made all sense to me. And I was vegan before I was even done reading the book. You know, it just made sense. It was just really clear. You know, there was Diet for a Small Planet, which came before that, which I think was like more of a hippie version of that book, but they, they all had like their really soft parts to it. Like I said, like I made fun of earlier, oh, looking in the cow's eyes and it's such a beautiful animal and all that. Yeah. It's like, I can sympathize with that now much more than I did back then. I thought that was just soft. I didn't give a shit. I was just into how it's affecting the environment, right? I just thought that was fucked up and greedy. But, but you know, and a lot of the books have that side to them. Like, if, But, you know, you build the compassion over time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember the last day I ever had fish was a piece of sushi. And I'm just like, I have this sushi in my mouth and I'm, just, you know, a yellowtail or whatever it is. And I'm just like, God, what? You know, and I had stopped eating, you know, red meat and chicken and, you know, all the other things other than fish, you know, a couple months earlier. And, you know, I just gradually, you know, cut each animal out. And, um, you know, it was a pretty quick process, especially for back then, because you didn't have the fake meats like you do now, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and I felt like, gosh, like I had this, I felt it like in my mouth, like the yellowtail. I felt the texture of the food and the muscle that I was biting into, not having had any other flesh in a while. And I was just like, wow, like what right do I have? Who am I to fucking just, you know, eat, you know, end this animal's life just for my eating pleasure? I can get all the nutrients I need from plants. Everything. Might take a little more effort, especially back then. Doesn't take as much now. But I can get all the nutrients I need from plants. And we know that as intelligent, you know, human beings with the brains that we have, you know, and the science that we have, that we can do that. So now that we know better, it's like, why are we continuing to do this? You know, so, and, and I felt like even like the fish was like swimming in my mouth or something. I had like some really weird thing. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, I'm not fucking with this anymore. You know, and that was it. Yeah, your mind. It was real easy. And, and maybe it was just my conscience yeah. being raised, you know, or whatever. And everyone has their own stories. And again, in your due time, you know, you know, you weren't vegan. You're not, not vegan yet. You know, maybe you will be one day. Maybe you won't. But, you know, you got to look at it. If you care about the environment, you don't want to be a selfish fuck. Yeah, no, I don't want to be a selfish fuck. I, uh, I I get the same feeling 
when I eat eggs now. Uh, it's just a weird texture for me, and, and there's certain things my body's it's basically rejecting. Whereas, let's say prior to it, it didn't. But the more I become aware of what I'm putting inside me, uh, it, it just doesn't sit well. And it could be my conscience. It could be anything. But I, well, you I, know, the, the a lot of you know uh, the you know vegan community people call eggs liquid flesh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other people a, call them chicken not, menstruation. That's not going to help. You me. know. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's terrible. You know, I mean, both of those things are true. Yeah. Um, they're uh, you know unfertilized mm. uh, eggs, but um, it's. Uh, you know, they're not healthy. Um, they have a lot of protein in them. They're very simple, very lazy food, I call them. Yeah. They're very lazy. It's like you can get a lot out of that little fucking thing, and it's inexpensive. No doubt. And I used to eat eggs. I used to love French toast and all that, you know. But there's there's substitutions for that if you still crave those feelings. But most of the time, even like the fake cheeses and all that stuff now, it's like, you know, once you've been vegan for a while, you kind of lose your taste for all that. Believe it or not. Yeah, you lose your taste for it. You really do. Um, you know, uh, there's great vegan ice creams out there. You know, um, there's a lot of good substitutes if you like those textures and those flavors. And you know, people got to realize, you know, even when you eat dinner in any normal family anywhere around the world, except for maybe you know, uh, Eastern Europe or if you're in, or, or, or in, you know in, in uh, Alaska or something like that. I mean. Most of the items on your plate are not meat. Yeah, no. Or meat. Most of the items on your plate are vegetables. Now, are they enough to get all your nutrition? No, you can't live on just potatoes. You know, um, you can't live on just beans. But meat is just—it's really the industry of meat that has really given you know us these horrible health problems, and also destroyed the planet. You know, I mean, when you know the, I think the science is you could feed 400 vegetarians on the amount of land that you could feed one meat eater. I mean, what the fuck? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, it it, it just comes back to just being selfish and greedy. I mean, that's the only thing I can figure out. You, You said it this time. Yeah, <laughs> he's like you're coming around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, believe me. I mean, the stuff that I crave now it's it's mainly a lot of fruit. I mean, it's 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 amazing, and it well, that's it, sugar. You know, that's sugar, and that's natural fruit, and that's you know, sugar's not the best thing to have all day long either. But fruit is a good thing. I mean, you know, I, you know, fruit is a very good cleansing, healthy thing. But you can't, you know, there are these people that are fruitarians. Yeah. They call themselves yeah. like that. The science I've read is you cannot live off of fruit alone no. you do need other you need carbohydrates you need other things and all these diets that people are you know the the non-carb diets and stuff like that that people you know the high protein just to get muscle and all that yeah you know that stuff definitely works all those diets work in one way or another but it makes you look better sometimes but you're you're just gonna all that muscle your heart's gonna become one fucking muscle and it's gonna seize up on you one day yeah you know people are gonna die from those those diets of you know only protein, you know, high animal fat proteins. It just doesn't work, man. It's just, you know, and it's pretty logical. The people who've done enough reading, I mean, you know, I get in fights with people, so, you know, arguments with friends sometimes who want to, you know, just don't want to give up their meat or veganism didn't work for them, you know. It's like, okay, man, just, you go do your thing, man. You fucking want to rationalize that. You do whatever the fuck you want. I've read my information. You read yours, you know. 
I can't, you know, it's not worth arguing anymore with some people. If someone wants, you know, you can't force someone to do something. And, uh, I mean, you could try, but it's, it very rarely works well. But you could just, you know, you could make the presentation, you know, and there's so many different movies and, and uh, you know, that make it so simple now to observe how, uh, you know, how to accomplish this, you know, frame of thought. But we, uh, we talk too much about this shit. Let's talk about some hip-hop or some skateboarding. Yeah, well, just real quick, though. Do yourself a favor and see Michael Moore's film. Just do yourself that favor because they... I'll, he, always, I'll always see a Michael Moore film. There's he, no doubt about he that. Goes, so it's just a matter of when. Yeah. I don't know how urgent it is to see it right away for me. I'm a very politically inclined person, and I yeah. don't think he's going to... You know, I, I don't rush out to see movies first run. I usually wait until they, you know, uh, come on some way I can, you know, get to see them less expensively. But, uh, but yeah, I'll see it. There's no doubt I'll see it. I'm, I told you, he's a hero to me. Yeah. No, I think you'll enjoy it, especially the, the, the portion he covers uh, in, in, I believe he was in France, right? Yeah. The uh, part of well, food where he goes to the school and the children, what they eat compared to what we're eating, the, the shit we're feeding children here. So I think you'll oh, yeah. you'll 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 applaud uh, his message on that. But uh, yeah, back on hip hop. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Uh, what's your thoughts on tonight's Grammys about Run DMC uh, getting uh, the uh, Grammy for uh, uh, lifetime li- achievement? Yeah, lifetime achievement award. Um, I don't think anything of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I personally thought it was long overdue, if not past. I don't really get into award shows. I haven't watched the Grammys. I don't, that's what I just said. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, sometimes they're interesting to watch for the drama that's involved. Yeah, yeah. Quite honestly, you know, people like cry and it's real and or you no. know, or, and it's interesting and there's some drama involved. But generally, it's just like that is not of any interest to me. Honestly, I, I mean, I love music. Awards for music—that's yeah. just stupid. Awards for movies. I mean, I like the group effort that, you know, that to maybe award in those kind of ways. But how could you say what the best movie is? I mean, sometimes it, there is a movie that stands out as the best one. I think award movies like every, you know, like Academy Awards would be good like every five years, you know? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't even think it's necessary. I just think it's just a way to build up industries and, you know, and sell more movie tickets and more records and stuff like that. It's just all commercial bullshit, you know, award shows, just... You know, art is not meant to be graded like that, you know, if at all. And and that's just a grade, and that's a popularity contest for commercial purposes. And I just think that's, just, you know, I don't think much of it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, am I lying? Uh, you know, I mean, if Public Enemy, you know, gets an award to run DMC, good, that's cool, you know. If I got an award for doing some great album cover, cool. But it's like, it's not really interesting to watch it. It's not really, I mean... I don't know. I just don't think much of those award shows at all. I, I think they're kind of whack. Yeah. No. I, I I see your I see your point on that, and I see like me. I've been talking about it today. How excited I am about it. But it, then it, one of the subjects that I talk about on this podcast a lot is how we're programmed for certain things. Just like the Grammys, like you just said, all it is is a promotion of industry. I mean, it's it 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 is that, and I'm I'm on board with that. I just think that uh, you know, Run DMC is 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 the the ABCs when it comes to 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 hip hop and rap music. For me, they were a big, big, big influence on uh, on on my upbringing, uh, far as in 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 rap and hip hop. And uh, you know, any any recognition 
I don't care where it is, you know, whether it's on the Grammys or, or whatever. It's I just I, I enjoy seeing them uh, public enemy, the Beastie Boys. I like seeing them on the forefront of that conversation. Uh, it, it just, it, it just pleases me. That's all <laughs> at the end of the day. It just, I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased. A lot of, I mean, a lot of my, you know, I'm very close to those, to that family, you know, and it's like, so a lot of people are very excited about it. Um, I thought it was cool, but it's like, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's nothing, you know, it's just like, you know, a lifetime achievement award. They had like, you know, three really good albums, maybe about three or four years of good, great performances. You know, um, maybe they didn't award Grammys for hip hop at the time no. that they were making hip hop records, you mm. know, their best work. So, so this is nice, you know, but, and, you know, God knows I've got a, you know, I, I, I like Run DMC a lot. I love Run DMC. I've done a lot of great photography work with them. Amazing. And, you know, and, and, you know, and, and Russell remains one of my good friends and DMC is a, is a good friend and wrote something for my new book and, He's just a great, great guy, you know, and, and a lot of the guys that work with them are just really nice people, and so, that, so that's good, but, you know, it's, you know, what did Chuck D, what's his quote about the Grammys, you know, whatever, man. Specifically, I, I would, I'm curious about your, uh, your, your memories about UTFO and the, uh, the, the, the event in 1985 that you uh, shot. You posted something on Instagram, and you left a, a bit of a cliffhanger talking about what happened before the show. Okay, okay, motherfucker, okay. <laughs> you got me, you got me. Um, let me just take a sip of some water here. Yeah, yeah. Because mm. UTFO, um, UTFO is one what of those... What happened that day was very interesting. Yeah. I, the only other hip-hop group I'd ever shot was really not a hip-hop group. They were a punk rock group. It was the Beastie Boys, but they were starting to do hip-hop. Yeah. So I shot them, and all these photos came out great, and everybody, you know... Like figured it'd be, you know, if I was asking to shoot someone, yeah, let them shoot these guys. Um, so I got the numbers, I got some numbers, and I just hustled like I always do to find out where someone's going to be, how I could end up photographing them. The single Roxanne, Roxanne had, was hitting real hard. You know, it was, it was its moment. It was big. It was playing in every fucking, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, um, footlocker and at, coming out every car, you know. It was just a shit, and it was it was a song of the moment, and they were coming to L.A. to play at the Olympic Auditorium, and I was put in touch with management, and, you know, I was used to, like, kind of organized, you know, stuff a little bit, like, you know, just a little bit more organized than what this turned out to be. Um, you know, if someone told me they had a manager, I figured they were a manager. Now, I, being from punk rock background, I didn't really deal with too many managers, but just people having that title, it seems like there's some kind of credibility going along with that. So, and then I had the number of the promoter and I just hustled and I said, well, where are these guys at? I want to get, you know, some photos of them. I'm working for this magazine or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, give them some lines because I really was inspired by what they were doing. And I thought they were great. And it was like a big hip hop act coming, you know, hip hop was really just beginning to really blow up. And I was just like, I want to be a part of this whole shit. It's fucking cool as hell to me and UTFO's coming, and I really liked that record, and I didn't really care about Curtis Blow, who was, you know, the headliner of the show, <laughs> but I wanted, I figured it'd be easier to get photos of UTFO, because yeah. they just got, not that many people knew about them yet, they, I mean, they were beginning to, and so I called up the venue, or I called the manager, and they said, well, meet us here, we'll be getting there at around, 
you know, 3.30 or 4 to do a sound check or whatever it was that they, they were doing. They were going to get there early. And so I go, I drive down there to the Olympic. I've been there for punk rock shows before. You know, the history of the Olympic Auditorium was, I think it was where there was Olympic wrestling back at the first uh, Los Angeles Olympics, I think was in the 30s or something like that. And uh, and then it became a roller derby rink. You know, roller derby happened there for many years, and that was the only thing, and, and professional wrestling. And then they started having some music shows there, and we had a couple punk rock shows there that I was a part of, you know, the, the band's, that I worked with, and um, but then, so here's this hit. So I knew where I had to go, and I knew where the doors were and stuff like that. So I get down there early, you know, and say, you know, okay, I want to get this photo of this band. Like it seems as though no one really cared about taking pictures of groups yet. They just didn't really think about it. Yeah. At that point, you know, of taking pictures of these groups, hip hop was very like transient art form. It's like it was just done. And then you moved on. It's like, you know, what's the newest record? Oh, that was last week. We don't give a shit about that anymore. You know what I mean? Artists didn't even have their pictures on their record sleeves. They were sold like disco records, mostly by disco companies, right? Yeah. Um, they had generic sleeves. The labels didn't pay money to have photographs on them. So most people didn't even look, know what most of these artists look like. There were no videos yet either for rap artists. So... I go to the show. I want to get a photo of these guys. I want to help promote them because they're inspiring me. And I think it's cool. Um, and I haven't seen any pictures of them yet. So let me get some pictures of these guys. And so I go down to the Olympic Auditorium, and I'm looking around for them, and they're not there. I'm looking around for people who are in charge, and I finally find the person promoting the place. The Olympic is a place that holds at least three or 4,000 people, if not 10. I don't remember. It's a pretty big place. Maybe five, six, I don't know. It'd be interesting you look that up online. And um, so I finally find the promoter, and he's like, oh, they're not here yet. I mean, but aren't they supposed to be here? Yeah, they're supposed to be here, but they're not here yet. <laughs> and who, who are you? Um, I'm a photographer. I just want to, you know, I want to shoot their picture. I was told by their manager I made up some bullshit. I want to, you know, I'm here to shoot their picture for so-and-so and blah, 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 you know, BS. And then I said, and and... I never met. I didn't. I never met the group. I didn't know the uh, promoter. And then I'm. And I go. And I'm like waiting. And he says, "Well, they should be here any minute now. They should, they're supposed to be here a while ago. They should be here any minute now." I'm like, okay. And you know, half hour goes by, and I come back to him. I'm like, you know, I'm pestering him a little bit. I'm like, you know, I'm probably in my early mid mid twenties. Like, so what's going on? Where's the group at? They're like not here yet. Um, what's going on? And he says, "I don't know where they are. Here, why don't you?" Take my car and go pick them up. <laughs> wow! Like, what? Really? Um, yeah. Here, here's my keys. You can go pick them up if you want. They're staying down at so and so hotel. And by the way, no iPhones, no internet. I don't have no fucking guide to tell me how to get there. You know what I'm saying? No <laughs> GPS or anything like that. Yeah. Like you know, you had to figure it out. You had to find out where the place was. You had to look at a map. You know, a real paper map. Yeah, I remember. And, you know, or make a phone call to a place, go to a pay phone, and look a place up in a phone book and call the hotel. I think I had the hotel number because maybe that's where I spoke to the manager. I don't know. I got the address. The guy gives me the keys to his car. He never met me before in my life. I don't work for any big paper or anything yeah. like that. He just said, here, take this car and go get them. <laughs> and so I fucking took his keys and I went to the hotel and I got them. Now, I have a strange feeling because of the 30 or 40 people that were in the building at the time, I was the only white person there. <laughs> and I have a strange feeling that for some reason, because I'm some 
clean-cut white guy. He thought it was okay to give me his car keys. Not that it wouldn't be to give that to anybody, but there was something in his manner that told me that he was giving it to me and not anyone else there because I'm just a fucking person who wants to take their picture. Um, he gave me the keys to his car to go get go pick up the band. I'm like, okay, I guess so. And so I went to the hotel, and I went there, and while I was with, while you know, some of the guys weren't ready yet, and we took some pictures right around the hotel itself, like a bad, like it was like right in downtown LA. It's like I had one of those deck pools, you know, like really low budget. You know, it's like a motel type place. He had them staying, and I took a couple pictures of them, like sitting on like some chairs by the pool or shit like that. And uh, you know, while we were waiting for other guys to get ready, and then when they were all there, I took like one or two pictures. And then, you know, and then I didn't realize that they were going to be dressed up or what. I didn't know what the fuck the performance was going to be or anything. And I just knew I was going to hear that song eventually that night. But, um, and I had been to clubs and seen MCs rap, but I figured a big arena, yeah. there's going to be a band and shit. People are going to be playing music and they're going to rap and do their thing. So it turns out, we, you know, at the Olympic, well, we, 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 so we take a couple pictures there and then we go to the Olympic and, there's no fucking sound check. They're just getting ready mm -hmm. backstage by getting dressed up. They got fucking costumes and shit, which to me is like <laughs> out of control. I never, I'm used coming from a punk rock background. I'm not used to people dressing up. You know, people just go out and perform. That's keeping it real, right? Yeah. But, you know, Dr. Ice had a doctor's uniform on. Mixmaster Ice had a ninja outfit on. Oh you know, the Kangle kid wore his Kangle. The educated rapper wore a shark skin suit with a tie. You know and these guys are getting dressed in their shit. And once they're all ready to go, you know, and it's backstage at the Olympic. I, um, you know, I got them to get together real quickly for another pose photo, and I did that, and that was the. And then I took photos of them. I think at the in, when they actually performed, but I was just blown away <laughs> and flabbergasted that there was just a fucking DJ, yeah, and some microphones and like one row of lights, literally ten feet above the stage, yeah, and that was it. It was like. You've seen more lights at a fucking, at a bar, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, it was just, it was bizarre. It was like, there was, it was like, there was no, there was barely any stage to speak of. There was a couple, some, some huge, some big speakers, but that was, it was like, it was ridiculous. The low production value. It was incredible. And the lights were so low that I don't even remember having one good performance photo from the night because there was just no light there. And I guess maybe I didn't have my flash or there was just nothing there. It was just so, the whole production was so like i mean it's spare is great in a way but it was kind of ugly in a way too and there was just not enough light to even see anybody to focus on you need light to focus not necessarily to shoot but even when you have a flash you need you know there was no automatic focus or anything like that you can guess but i guess i just was like so blown away that there was no musicians and it didn't even seem like there was a live dj it felt like they were just fucking playing to a tape and I was just kind of put off by the whole thing at that point. I was like, this is great what's going on, and I'm excited about the music, but this whole live performance shit is, got to, is a fucking joke to me. Yeah, the, and, pro the production And level. then uh, Curtis Blow and AJ and Davey D come out very soon after. They only played a couple of songs. You know, I mean, they played like three or four songs or something. They had like no songs, and I wasn't used to that. At a, at a venue, I thought there'd be a real show. You know, people paid money to come and see this shit. And right at the beginning, I think they were playing AJ Scratch, and a big gang fight broke out. I uh. think I mentioned that. You know, fucking guys start storming the 
run around the place with fucking two-by-fours. I mean, long, like six-foot, huge or eight-foot, whatever a two-by-four is. They were running around with these things, you know, big old planks fucking just swinging like they were baseball bats. And there was a big fight, and it turns out Ice-T told me later on that some the kid who got beat down, who got taken out, was killed that night, mm. right there, right when we were there. Jeez. And uh, I only saw one other white person in the whole venue, and that was a writer from the L.A. Weekly. And I'd seen him a couple nights later, and, and he said, we talked about the show and how interesting it was, and how we were kind of on the leading edge of that. There weren't, you know, uh, race-wise, there weren't too many white people there. It was, it was very interesting. And uh, But, you know, we were both punk people, you know, and punk people were kind of, you know, were progressive and were interested in other kinds of music and other cultures and not afraid to go places and do things. We've done and seen a lot already. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting evening. That's my story. Yeah, that's cool. an amazing story, and thanks, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you, you it, times have changed. I mean, I've, I've just started going back out and venturing out to different shows. I saw Nas this weekend, and, and times have definitely changed where you can go into a show or a club these days and have the gold chains and, you know, the, 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 the fur coats and everything, and, you know, there's no, no one jacking anyone like they did in the, uh, in the 80s. Uh, so it's uh, not as violent as it used to be, but that's a that's an amazing story. Um, you you hit on Ice T, and Ice T is a, I'm a big fan of his his art as well. Uh, and I look back at his career, and I touched touched on it briefly when you were here in D.C. You know about his evolution. I just find it fascinating because you did some work with Ice Cube as well. And when you think of those two subjects, those two people, those dudes were like. For us, they were they were they had the street cred, you know. They 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 were just G's. They were straight up. And now I look, Ice Cube is pretty much in mainstream Hollywood, making you know kids. My my son thinks Ice Cube is a comedian, and uh, Ice T is on. You know, he's on uh, a daytime talk show. He had one, and he's on, of course, uh, Law and Order. But I, I I love watching the evolution of. I'm almost like I'm in the Matrix when I think of their career, where they, they were and where they are now. And I'm just happy to see them, you know, on point and on message. Do you have any thoughts around your friendship with more, more so on with Ice-T? Um, you know, I saw Ice-T the other day. He was in my neighborhood working on his show, uh, you know, SVU, Law and Order, whatever it is. And yeah. I had never really watched the whole episode. I just couldn't do it. You know, it just wasn't <laughs> interesting to me. I'm really bored by people's interest in police activity being entertainment. You know, there's something really weird about that to me. Um, but after seeing them film the other day, I, and then watching an episode, I could see the drama is of interest to people, but it's not of interest to me where I would want to tune in every week, even with my friend on the show. Um, uh, but he's been doing that for 17 years. Yeah. Like, the longest-running show on television, I think, is like 20 years. And yeah. their show is getting as high ratings now as it's ever gotten. Um, so, you know, he's having a good time. He's just doing it as a job. And I, I believe he enjoys doing it. And he's learned a lot from it. Um, you know, I, I he's a fucking, you know, we went, my son and I walked down. You know, they treated us like celebrities on the set they were very nice you know because we were friends with him everyone we met every actor we not we didn't even want to they just introduced us to everybody they were just nice people you know we didn't know who any of them were 
and they were all really nice and really gracious because, you know, of course, you know, ICE gave us the, you know, gave them, you know, the the, the, uh, the red carpet introduction for me, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know ICE since he lived in a garage, you know, um, literally uh, in the basement of a building in the garage. He had a, uh, you know, like a janitor's apartment or something like that. And, uh, you know, with no, not even a window, just a transom to the outside, probably not even a legal space to live in. But he wanted to live in Hollywood, you know, and uh, get out of the hood. And, um, you know, you could read that story we talked about. You know, he mentions that, you know, that, that's a great story in the new book, and I won't ruin the whole thing. But uh, I've been talking too much already. I'm beginning to get a little, you know, worn out of hearing my own fucking voice. But, uh, <laughs> he, um, but yeah, he's, a, he's just a great guy, and, and you know, and, and he has a good time doing what he's doing, and he was communicating important stories, Um you know, early in his career and throughout his career, things that are important to him. And uh, he's just, you know, he's a good dude. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, I followed him and I, I continue to follow him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope he uh, continues, uh, you know, the path he's on because it's, it's a hell of a ride, hell of a journey uh, to behold, uh, especially, you know, like you said, watching his evolution from his roots, his upbringing, all the way to where he is now. So, uh, I enjoy. You know, he, and you know, what's interesting, he's really loyal, too. He's very loyal to his friends and people that work for him and people that have supported him over the years. And, and that says a lot about a man, you know, yeah. about any person. Yes, that's, that's You know, this, the loyalty speaks a lot to me, and I, I really respect the hell out of that. And, and looking out for his friends, you know, looking out for guys that he knew as kids or when he was younger that got in trouble with the law when they come out of jail, you know, helping them find you know, employment, you know, and, uh, and caring about people. And, you know, he does that. And I, I really respect the shit out of that. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, it does, it speaks volume, people that are loyal, people that follow through, uh, people that commit. And that's one of the things I want to thank you for, because I know, like you said, you're getting a little hoarse or tired. I don't want to hold you up any longer, but I appreciate you, uh, taking the time out and not knowing me from a bucket of paint to uh, be a part of this podcast, you know, share with us your passions and your thoughts on various subjects. But uh, it, it speaks volume because it's me being a um, or us being a, a, you know, kind of a startup podcast. And, you know, we, we don't we don't have a big track record, but the, the fact that you took the time out, we uh, and I can speak for Miriam Tazi. We <laughs> want to uh, thank you. Uh, for your time, Miriam. yes. How many? How many listeners you got? How many listeners you have this podcast? About a dozen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a healthy handful. <laughs> no, it's always growing. You'd be surprised at how many people will listen. They won't admit it. You know what I mean? Well, that's all right. Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't curious. admit it. People are curious. Oh, just I don't know. People get a little nervous. I think about talking about it. A lot of people want to be on it though, but they need to have a good subject. You, thank you so much for being on it. It was really fascinating. Very very fascinating. Listen. Really well, I hope I hope with an edit we sound okay, and uh, you know we don't you know go too far down the uh, down the tunnel and scare people off. But um, yeah, it's 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 always a pleasure to talk with people who care and who are interested. You know, um, I think it's a really important thing for people to communicate with each other. You know, when people ask questions that they are you know genuinely interested in hearing the answers to not just looking for content um that means a lot to me because in this world now many people only are looking for 
you know, space to fill in between the ads yeah. or to say that they're online and, you know, whatever it is. And, and that's just a real big disappointment to me, you know. Mm. So when people actually care and they're doing something and they're working hard, um, you know, for the, for, because they believe in it or because they want to do it, um, that's a great thing. And that's to be congratulated and commended on any level. It's everyone's got to start somewhere. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again from the bottom of our heart. Thank you, Glenn. Okay, brother. All right. Okay, madam. <laughs> Take care. It was great to y'all. Okay, talk to you later. Yep. I'll, you, you have to email me and let me know uh, how it all comes out in the end and, uh, and and when there's a link and stuff, and maybe we'll post it on the uh, blog and shit. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when everything's up. Okay, take care. All right, bye. bye-bye. Passionate, huh? Yeah, very. Huh? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. You know, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, li- I'm, I'm listening to him and for you listening before I get off, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on a tangent, uh, Glenn Friedman, Glenn E. Friedman can be found on Twitter, uh, uh and Instagram, Instagram under Glenn E. Friedman. Uh, you can also go to his website, www.burningflags.com and, uh, his, uh, his latest book, uh, my rules, you can find that on Amazon, which you can uh, click on the Amazon link on AmericanRiddle.com and order it, or check your local, uh, you know, bookstores uh, and other resources to get it. And that's uh, Glenn E. Friedman, My Rules. It is not; it will not disappoint. Uh, his uh, his his uh, photography is is amazing, and the stories. Uh, if I could have kept him for another hour, I would have, and uh, definitely did not. Exp- I did have I did have some notes, and if you see, I have notes on technology and uh, vegan on there. <laughs> you know, in small print, I've got a lot of stuff on hip hop right here. You see it, Miriam Tazi? I do. Huh? I do. Which he Paragraphs did. Hit- yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. like and vegan. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I'm 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 really happy. I'm over the moon that uh, he went into great detail about that, just because you know it. it Opens my eyes to, you know, you know how I always talk about connecting dots, right? Mm-hmm. And just doing the math, yeah. you know what I mean? Doing the homework and, and also looking within. And it, it just makes me look, you know, it kind of justifies some of the, what I think is silly things. Like the other day when we went on our trip to, what did we, what did we see? The Michael Moore documentary. And what did I break out? Well, I'm sitting there. <laughs> kiwi. Yeah, I broke out some kiwi. <laughs> and I had and an a, apple. And an apple. And a spoon, <laughs> real silverware, you know. And at the, you know, I just can't eat the popcorn and the candy anymore. It messes up my stomach, and it's just it's too much. Now, do I think about the Earth and the planet and everything like that? You know, I'm more thinking. I'm, it may sound selfish, but I'm more thinking about myself and prolonging, you know, uh, uh, my health uh, or my longevity here on Earth. You know, it makes me feel better. But yeah, if, in turn, if it does the Earth good. From what I'm doing, then uh, by by all means, and I think once you're aware of it, as as Glenn pointed pointed out, if you if you know if you go against that, then you're an asshole. You know what I mean? I like that, and also his passion. I I really enjoy being stimulated by other human beings that make me look at myself, so I can put myself in check, especially about. You know, we talk about many times in, about different artists and how they should know their history and stuff like that. And for him to come out and just say, you know, it's not that, it's, it's not that serious. You know what I mean? You, right. You He's may, just happy that they're creating and ex- just trying ab- to and be moving like, forward and right. doing something. 
And uh, that's that's cool too, though. It's everyone's, you know, he has the right to his perspective and stuff. And I'm not like that's, you know, it it's true in that sense. Like I think for him, inspiring and being inspired, you know, is like really key in creating mm-hmm. something that he finds fascinating, you know, and doing it the way he wants to do it, doing it right, and doing something different. Maybe he's not saying that these people necessarily are doing different things and that it's great. It's just that it's good that they're doing something. Period. You know, and not being lazy. Proactive. That's, yeah, that's that was the message that I got. They're not, from they're not being lazy and, and sitting on a couch eating filet of fishes. Right. right. Yeah. So, you know, I can respect that. You know what I mean? I totally do. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, what else stuck out? Um, just a quick recap. Anything else stick out for you? Because, of course, I've, you know, you've seen me submerged in his book and so on. Was there anything that stuck out with you? Far as I just like his attitude about about the whole thing. He doesn't. He takes it seriously, you know. But he's also pretty like. He knows himself. He knows himself, and he's not. You know, he's confident, but he's also aware. You know that. Um, you know, it, there's not. He has archives. He's going back and like the the old stuff that he's he has in his books. You know what I mean? Like he's just kind of going in. And bringing out new stuff, bring, bringing out to light ba- basically anew his old stuff. And I kind of took that as, you know, there isn't that much new greatness out there today. Well, so mu- it's so much <laughs> of it. He hit on that subject. There's so, the, the way technology is and the way um, uh, the world has evolved, there's so much information and there's so many photographs out there. Just like there's so many uh, rap songs or skateboarders or whatever there's so much of it yeah the point that i liked that he he uh that glenn brought up was every and this is for any of the people out there and i i can you know group myself in that category because i've been guilty of it in the past uh when you when you say that you know today's music speaking of music today's music isn't what it used to be well what it used to be wasn't what it used to be. Yeah, it wasn't. You know, there, like he said, yeah. it, there was tons of stuff that was bad. There was a select few that was actually doing it right. You know what I mean? Like, there, like even when I opened up and I was talking about some of the things I was doing, from BMX to skateboarding and stuff like that, I was within that group. Like I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like when I was joking with you before we started the podcast about breakdancing, I knew I would. I could never do that. Like there are things I no, I didn't even attempt. You know what I mean? I didn't even attempt. It just it's not my forte. Yeah, but you got that's the thing. You kind of as a child and as an you adolescent, you, yeah, you're supposed to figure out what you're good at and what you love yeah. and your passion and all that stuff. So yeah, and I dig his passion. I mean, uh, yeah, he found it and he kept with it. That's really you know and everything, he just, everything it, from like what he committed what he, and it's like you know and he's really good at what he does because he he mastered his craft and, you know? and the same thing you know when, when you go back and you think about uh tonight you know of course and i still stand by it you know i'm excited that run dmc is uh is getting a lifetime achievement award but what is that award it's an it, it is an empty award for me I, I guess it's more personal that they're on the national scene but they've been on the national scene so it's like you know i guess the the people that know Run DMC, Glenn Friedman, Ice T, you know, anyone that's mentioned that's in that know that that really mean much. no, they yeah. know, you know, it's like it's just like Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. Do you think he cares about getting the Oscar? You know what I mean? 
I don't know. These guys are doing it every day. They're grinding it out. They know that if you know yourself, then, you know. But we, and again, I can say I'm guilty of this. We as a as a people, as a country, we, we allow ourselves, and this is a constant theme on this, this show, to be programmed to fall in that category where we think we have to be accepted by our quote-unquote peers, the people we work with, or in this case, the, the, the other artists that we have to get this award mm. to be successful. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah at, the, at the end of the day, all I, all I really, yes, I'm excited for Run DMC, but I'm sad because JMJ, Jam Master J is in here. You know what I mean? Regardless, that's what I would really want. Over any Grammy, any award, I'd rather have uh, the life that, that's lost back here on Earth. Of course. And that's what's most important. And I think that's, that is what uh, 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 Glenn Friedman was talking about, is what's important and what you can do on this Earth for the Earth and not being, a sh- uh, as he said, uh, I believe he said, a selfish fuck. Yep, pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and once you know... Once you're educated, don't continue to go down the path of being a selfish fuck. That's right, Miriam Tazi. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, that was a long-awaited, and we uh, we exchanged emails uh, and uh, you know some online correspondence, and he he came through. Yeah, and you know you've heard me complain about uh, trying to book a guest here and there, <laughs> right? Happy that it worked out. I'm glad. I'm glad you were you were able to be in studio for it because yeah. uh, I think it's important, and I'm glad he brought you into the fold as well. Somewhat, you guys co- yeah, it's important though. Putting me on the spot, we like have that. to do it, Miriam yeah, well, Tazi. You know, I mean, this is you know, men are talking and stuff. I'm trying to be respectful. I don't want to interrupt anybody. I did want to ask him if he had traveled and what he had seen in the world. That's what's well. The did. beauty of it is anyone, and one of the things I like about I love about podcasting is it's easy to ask, and I've made this mistake. I made the mistake with Crazy Legs. I think I made the mistake with uh, with Nicer from the Tatch crew. Is we, we can ask the same old, same questions about, oh, what was the first experience? What was it like doing this? It's been written about. It's been in magazines for you know, 25, 30-plus years, right? We, we kind of get that. And that's that format, that programming um, that I don't like. What I like about different podcasts that I've listened to is when someone goes off the subject and you get to know them. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. I, I'm sure he's aware of that as well. Because, <laughs> yes, sure. yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's not a new jack. And I appreciate him, um, you know, structuring the American Riddle podcast for this <laughs> this episode. So big ups to Glenn uh, Friedman for that. So, uh, and, and it's important because I get caught up in my own programming where I'm going, you know, painting by numbers, but you know, like Glenn Freeman, you got to fuck that. You know what I mean? Fuck that. I like that about him. I and, like his attitude too. And, uh, Everybody. yeah. And, and, and the fact is now the people, anyone that's tuning in, as he said, the, the, the dozen that, that are, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's cool. That are, that are too, <laughs> hey, you know, it is what it is that are tuning in. Now they can do the homework because they have Google and they can look up, you right. know, his 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 works. Like I said, he's published his own books. There's plenty of them online from My Rules, which was done in, in 82. Fuck You Heroes was done in 94. Fuck You 2 in 96. The Idealist in 98. Dogtown, The Legend of, of the Z-Boys in 2000. Recognize in 2005. Keep Your Eyes Open in 2007. And in 2014, 
He released My Rules, which is the, the copy right there in studio right now, open, on display. So, I mean, you, you guys can, can look that up and, again, uh, um, seek out Glenn Friedman online. He has a blog that he, he posts on a regular basis. He's uh, very active now on Instagram. And, uh, like I said, he's worked with some of the, you know, he's worked with icons, the Beastie Boys, Henry Rollins, LL Cool J, uh, Fugazi, the Dead Presidents, KRS-One, right? The Blastmaster KRS-One, Public Enemy, Run DMC, and more. You know what I mean? Rakim Allah, the Fat Boys. I mean, it, I mean, it just it just goes on. So I mean, he's he, yeah. That's just the hip hop side. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the skateboarding side. I mean, it's just you know, there's there's tons of content out there. So uh, get out there and find it and support. Follow Glennie Friedman. You will not be disappointed. Domino, motherfucker. The American Riddle Podcast. Malcolm Riddle. Riddle.